there's a first time for everything and this ain't it. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Meet Your Heroes. I'm Audrey. And I'm Elliot. And this is the podcast where we defy the conventional wisdom to never meet your heroes and bring you up close and personal with some of history's most famous people and their lesser known, less savory legacies. Yeah, the nuanced sides. Or sometimes just terrible sides. Yeah, just straight up awful. Sometimes there's no nuances, you're just a, a terrible person. Yeah, who has effectively been whitewashed by their cleanup crew. Yes. yes. But then we come in and we are the anti-whitewashing? Uh, the, I mean... We're the anti-racist washing is what we are. Yeah. Anti-misogyny, anti-homophobia, just all the antis. Anti-bigotry. Which is like the very absolute least we could do. Oh, please. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sit in a closet. Cool. I mean, there was like two and a half hours of Googling before <laughs> this. <laughs> let's be let's be real. It's more like four or five. It's mm. This was a big one. Our year this week, I know basically nothing about and have already confused with Herbert Hoover, who was a president. Yes. That's yeah. not who this is. No. Yeah. How'd you pick J. Edgar Hoover? Sure. So I have been spending some time on Twitter recently. Uh, Yuck. Yeah. Terrible idea. Don't recommend it. <laughs> um, and so there's the a couple stories, right? One is the ongoing Black Lives Matter protests against police brutality yep. that are going on all across the country. And separately, there was this little hint of a story. Uh, a male sex worker in Washington, D.C., Mm-hmm. came forward and said that he and every other sex worker he knew, male sex worker he knew, had stories about a certain Republican senator using their services. This is about Lindsey Graham. Sure. Um, In case people missed the news this yes. week. And there'd been a, there's been a lot of speculation for a long time about why Lindsey Graham went from like being such a incredibly, like, staunch uh, opponent of Donald Trump for so long. Mm-hmm. And then, like, they went golfing one day and, like, on a dime has done nothing but, like, praise Trump at every turn, no matter what. Yeah. And so there's been rumors that the news organizations are, like, working on this story, but there's been no major news stories yet, just like, mm-hmm. these Twitter rumors. I thought if only there was an illustrative case from history that showed simultaneously the damage that could be done by a white supremacist police organization and also someone who is being blackmailed for their sexuality f- to harm the nation. That is a nuanced intersection. Yeah, but you know what? There's a first time for everything and this ain't it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so today's hero, J. Edgar Hoover. Yes. So J. Edgar Hoover is not the same as President Herbert Hoover. Correct. And most people actually, so we say hero here. This is not somebody who, if you approached on the street, most people today, they'd be like, oh, he's a hero to me. Sure. But at the time, so when he retired, he uh, had like 80% approval rating across the United States. Wow. Yeah. Just like incredibly popular. And it wasn't until a little bit later that people started to actually understand what he was really like. For starters, he, he founded the FBI. Okay. He's the first director. Important. Do you know anything else about him? 
I know that Leonardo DiCaprio played him oh, yeah. in a movie called J. Edgar. That's right. It was a Leonardo DiCaprio movie. That's it. It's not the iceberg one, though. Not that one. It's a different one. Nope. But uh, apparently another sinking ship. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so let's talk about J. Edgar Hoover. Let's do it. He is born and raised in Washington, D.C., 1895. Born at the turn of the century. Lives, like, in Washington, D.C. Never leaves the United States. Will work in Washington, D.C. This is just, like, this is happening all in one place. He is a literal choir boy. Oh, okay. Right. Like, so, in the church. Like, church choir, school choir. Oh. School choir boy. Okay. In ROTC, on debate team, undefeated on debate team, successfully debates uh, that women should not have the right to vote. Ah. Uh, that we should have the death penalty and more of it. Just wow. like one of those kind of kids. Sure. Right right from the jump. Right from the jump. I want to steal his lunch money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> his first job when he graduates high school is at the Library of Congress. Uh, from that point on, he basically will never work anywhere except the government for the rest of his life. When he graduates college or high school? High school. Wow. So he works at the Library of Congress there, decides okay. to go get a law degree, okay. gets a law degree, and immediately goes to the Department of Justice. Government person through and through. Right uh, around time of World War One, right when he gets his first job out of law school, it's like 1917 or something. He's like 21, 22. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Russian Revolution just happened. Sure. So like, I didn't realize this, but did, did you know that serfdom, right? Like having like a, a feudal serf, like a lord that has like people who like work his land and mm-hmm. that ended in the middle ages in Europe but it went on to like 1870 in Russia I don't I'm not surprised yeah I mean like, I didn't know I didn't know either yes but yeah not surprised at all one of the things so so around like 1917 around this time mm-hmm. this is when basically the people are just like enough of this bullshit right um yeah they throw out the czar mm-hmm. they're like we don't want to fight in the war anymore that yeah they're just like we're done with this and so there's a revolution, and then, like, pretty quickly it turns into a communist revolution. This makes America really nervous. There was a legitimate overthrow of a government by people who were fed up with the system. And Must be nice. the U.S. government is like, <laughs> I don't love this. Right. Um, and so from the beginning of his entire government career, this is what's happening. And he, like, jumps in. He's like, I'm going to shut this shit down from the beginning. He is going to fight communism, right? So he starts off. And by the time he's 24, he is named uh, the chief of what is called the Radical Division of the Department of Justice. Sounds a lot cooler than it probably was. Yes, yes. Uh, well, it's the General Intelligence Division of DOJ. They called it the Radical Division only because they were like hunting radicals uh, and collecting information on radicals. See, to me, that sounds like a really cool band name, the yes. Radical Division. That would have been so much better, frankly. So much better. So as part of this radical division, uh, it is like every trick in the book, including the ones that are not actually legal. He is there and they're doing things like illegally using military intelligence, like private investigators. Just to shut down communism. Just to like find the communists. In the U.S. And make sure there's not a communist revolution in the U.S. Got it, right? got it, got it. This all like comes to a head in something called the Palmer Raids, which is basically um, this guy Palmer, who's his boss, is like... We are going to go out and get them all at once. We're going to just like weed out the leftists from America. Wow. And a lot of these people are immigrants, right? Sure. So there's some citizens with a lot of immigrants. So it is like one day they're just like, bam, 11 cities, 1,000 people arrested. Uh, Yikes. Some of them with warrants, a lot of them without warrants, 
a lot of them like related to this. A lot of them just like not related to this. They have to end up releasing like 75% of these people because it was just a lot of it was bogus. Yeah, so you just can't show up at someone's house and like drag them out. Yeah, or... it turns it. Well, you can't. But then if, if you really wanted to and you're getting stuck because you don't have a lot of evidence, they started holding these people secretly. Uh, yeah. They didn't charge them. They like beat them. They like forged confessions. If they wouldn't sign the confessions, they beat them some more. Oh, no. And then, oh, yeah, just like First Amendment violations left and right. Right. Some of these people were just like saying like, we should have a shorter work week, right? And then they're like, <laughs> beat the shit out of them, put them in jail, make them sign a confession, and if they aren't yet citizens, deport them. Good thing that's not still happening. Yeah, right? Uh, people organizing. So after this goes the first time, mm-hmm. of course, they're not like, oh, problem solved. They're like, yes, this was amazing. Let's do it again. So instead, of, the next time they do it, instead of 1,000 people, it's 3,000 people. And Hoover's like directing this. Hoover is the number two got it, of got it, the got person it. directing this. And he is like right there, like helping on the front lines. Right. Sure. And so he is like, so they, they get 3,000 people this time. And of that 3,000, like a thousand of them, they can't like get all the information they want out of them. So they like put them locked up in the top of a building, like at the top floor of a building and just starve them for a week. No. All thousand of them. Yeah. Holy but cow. No food, no water. Like blatantly illegal shit, right? Just like, just trying to drum up some some semblance of a conspiracy, even if there is someone. They would torture the people trying to get confessions. And then if that wouldn't work, they would go round up their family members and then torture their family members in front of them. No. Yeah. This is where his like law enforcement quote unquote career starts. So... They deport a bunch of people, but then, like, as soon as word starts getting out about what's actually happening, people Mm -hmm. are like, that's some fucked up shit. No, like, that is not okay. Uh, Because a lot of people are just, like, literally doing things that are constitutionally protected, just organizing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, People start to find out, and Palmer's like, no, we need to do this, because on May 1st or whatever, there's going to be this big communist uprising. Watch. And then it comes and go, and, like, there was never an uprising. It's like that scene in Parks and Rec where they're waiting for Zorp. Yes. All hail Zorp. <laughs> and then at the end, they're like, oh, I misread the calendar. Can uh, can we move to May 30th? That's like, oh, no, book that day, right? Book that day. Oh, yeah, you're right, you're right. May 31st. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Oh, so convenient. Yeah. Or almost like the, you know, anti- Antifa uprising that was supposed to happen, right? That's always just around the corner, mm-hmm. right? Like convenient reason and... Never there. So anyway, when this guy goes on the record saying this was all worth it because there was going to be an uprising and that never happens, people are just, they're like, you're full of shit. Sounds like rightfully so. Yeah. And one result of this is pretty good. Uh, A new organization is created to go and like sue all of these people who are doing all these unconstitutional raids called the ACLU. Oh, yeah, familiar. Yeah. It turns out that's where it starts because they were like, this is fucked up. No. The ACLU just today asked the UN to investigate the police brutality against protesters in the U.S. Yeah, as human rights abuses. Yeah. Which it is. Turns out. At so, least they're consistent. ACLU's still with us. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, the Palmer raids, Palmer, people see what he did, and he resigns in shame. Mm. He is like, basically exiled from political life. Never even heard of him. But his number two, J. Edgar Hoover, escapes the blame and remains unscathed and goes on to then go from assistant director to director after Palmer leaves. Right. Like the little weasel he is. I could tell from what he did in high school that he'd be a sneaky little weasel. Yeah. Strategic. Just sneaky little weasel. Waiting for waiting for Palmer's downfall. Swoop right in. So by nineteen twenty four, Hoover is now like twenty nine. He is officially named the acting director of the Bureau of Investigation at the DOJ. Okay. 
a few years later is going to become the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Right. But basically, at 29, he gets to become the director of this organization. The thing to understand is he's a 29-year-old. He will have this job for the rest of his life. He's not going to leave D.C. He's never lived anywhere besides D.C. He's not going to have any other jobs. He's not going to go on to greater and better things. Mm. He's just going to do this. And I'm going to guess he lived a while? Um, yes. He lived to be... 77 years old? He'll do that for like 40 years. Yeah. So basically for half of the time the FBI has existed Mm -hmm. and during all of its formative years, he's at the helm. Wow. So whatever you want to think about American law enforcement and the FBI, Mm -hmm. right? It is basically just like shaped from the ground up for decades and decades and decades by the decisions that he's going to make about the organization that he is going to create. He gets called up. He gets made the uh, assistant director or the acting director for the first time. First thing he does, he's like... Fire all the women. Done. Step one, no check. No way. Oh, yeah. Just walks right, right first thing, right out the gate. Uh, because he's supposed to professionalize, quote unquote, this organization. Kicks out the women, starts like get their records in order. He is going to be there through the presidencies of Calvin Coolidge, Herbert Hoover, mm-hmm. no relation to him, Franklin D. Roosevelt, Harry Truman, Dwight Eisenhower, JFK, LBJ, and Richard Nixon. It's eight. Eight presidents. Wow. Any of them theoretically could have done it, could have like removed him, replaced him. So the question is like, how does he stay in this job for so long? Right. And the answer is he is just ruthless and blackmails everybody. Oh, I was going to say, yeah, it sounds just like a classic case of corruption. Oh, yeah. It's just incredibly corrupt. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the main the main way he does this is that he starts from the very beginning and starts this secret blackmail slash porn collection. You know, that sounds like it should be way cooler than it probably <laughs> was. <laughs> yes. Well, so it was not very cool. Uh, he really loved it, though. So he said he had this special rule where if anybody got in particular like very lurid stuff, details, photographs, anything of anybody important, they were supposed his to, intelligence officers. All of his officers. Got they it. were supposed to skip the whole chain of command and everything and just send it straight to him. And he was going to keep it in a safe in his office. Uh, so this means like he ended up with pictures or films of Frank Sinatra and Tony Curtis and the Rat Pack, mm. Elvis, Charleston Heston. But mostly he used this for just like every politician he could find. Mm. So he would go Congress people, senators... Um, anybody who was up and coming, which ended up being almost all of these presidents before they were president. Sure. Right. Yeah. Just like get all this dirt on them. So all of JFK's women that he was sleeping around with and Bobby Kennedy. If he'd stuck around for just like a couple more presidents, you would have like the thick file, like Richard Nixon. Then you get to Jimmy Carter and it's just like empty. Yeah. (laughs) A blank manila envelope. Right, it's like he skipped church last week, like <laughs> yes. one week a year. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he was just like intent on getting this blackmail on people. The strange thing is that as he's doing this and amassing this power and starting to like dig himself into this office, illegally wiretapping people, like going through like, you know, brutal raids unconstitutionally against people's protected speech. This whole time he is living at home with his mom. We have been down this road before. Yeah, at this point, like... Nothing good happens at this at this point in the story. Yeah. This is not, this is not an endearing moment. No, it's not like, oh, how sweet. He's so close with her. He's no. like, he's never been able to move out of the home. 
Um, so he's like in his mid thirties right now. Sure. He's gonna live at home with his mom until he's in his forties when his mom ultimately passes. So you're telling me this choir boy who loved debate and never moved out of his mom's home was well adjusted? Yeah, 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 super well adjusted. Mm. Um, totally unrelated to all of these things <laughs> and totally unrelated to his deep desire to blackmail everyone around him and get secrets so he could like entrench himself in this power. Around this time when he's 33, so like 1928 or so, mm-hmm. he meets a man named Clyde Tolson. Never heard of him. Clyde is, by the way, shout out Clyde, great name. Not to be confused with our dog who still has not died. No, still, still, still kicking, alive. Still For the barking. Folks who've been listening. Still incredibly annoying. Inexplicably still alive. So, J. Edgar Hoover and Clyde Tolson really what's the word? Not word. Kick it off. What's the word? Hit it off. They hit, really, it off. hit it off. Okay. J. Edgar Hoover and Clyde Tolson really hit it off. What's Clyde doing with his life? So Clyde is a brand new agent coming in to the bureau mm. and very quickly becomes good friends with J. Edgar, becomes his quick deputy and assistant and is like there to like enforce all of his internal, dic- sure. you know, rules and, and regulations. And then they they start uh, golfing together and like hanging out, start going to baseball games together in those baseball games. They start um, eating lunch together and then eating lunch and dinner together. Okay. Uh, they ride to and from work together. All right. Uh, they pick up, you know, leaving from his mom's house, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, they then start to attend family functions together, uh, accept joint dinner invitations together, uh, including like for formal dinners at the White House. Wow. Um, they start signing thank you notes together okay. after they receive gifts. Um, they go on double dates with famous couples, including mm. Richard Nixon and his wife. They are seen holding hands, leaving nightclubs together by multiple people. Uh, and they vacation together and, and always book rooms next to each other. The FBI to this day says that Herbert Hoover is not gay or was not gay. Herbert Hoover was Sorry. not gay. J. Edgar Hoover was probably gay. <laughs> yes. Uh, J. Edgar Hoover, right? There is incredible evidence and a lot of contemporary accounts that he was not out to people around him, but was in this very strange, like double, th- like cognitive dissonance way. Okay. A, a man who had sex with men, mm-hmm. particularly Clyde, but also refused to be labeled as gay, right? Because gay meant something else. Gay meant communist. Oh, is that what it means? Gay meant communist. I have been so confused. Now we know. Now we Thanks know. Thanks for clearing that up. Mm-hmm. One more piece of evidence, in case anybody's on the fence here. Uh, Hoover wrote to Tolson in one of his letters, and he said, Words are mere man-given symbols for thoughts and feelings, and they are grossly insufficient to express the thoughts in my mind and the feelings in my heart that I have for you. I hope I will always have you beside me. Listen, if you, as an individual, want to be in a relationship with whomever... And keep it secret. That's like totally your right to do it. Yeah. But the the issue with being a Republican who's staunchly anti-gay and anti-communist because they're, of course, the same thing, right? <laughs> In the position of power is that if you do that and you, refuse to, and you refuse to be out, you now let yourself put yourself in a position to be blackmailed. Which yeah. then, of course, guess what happens? You get blackmailed. You get blackmailed. So right. basically, 
in the next few years, gossip starts about how he's like, you know, all the gossip brags would say that he's things like light in the loafers, right? And then the mafia gets a hold of pictures of him and Tolson. Compromising photos. Again. You're right. Good for you. Yeah. Except if... Except if the mafia gets a hold of those photos. And you're a Republican law enforcement agent. Uh, and so what happened is, at at the end of Prohibition, when the mafia was like moving from alcohol into drugs and sex trafficking and gambling rackets. J. Edgar Hoover repeatedly went on the record and was like, there's no such thing as the mafia. I mean, that's a real quick pivot for the mafia, though. Yeah. Oh, I mean, like, they were like, <laughs> like where right? are we going to go next? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, agile, yeah. as they say. Very, very quick. It's like a lean industry, right? A lean industry. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So they, they just like feed him reliable horse race winners and blackmail him. And then he basically ignores the mafia for another 30 years. Wow. Yeah. So the top law enforcement agency in the country ignored the mafia in America. They went after like little small time bank robbers, right? But like... But not organized crime. Not organized crime. Organized crime infiltrated the Republican Party through compromising information and managed to steer it away from the things that were like potentially the biggest influence on the political culture at the time. Wow. Because Republicans didn't believe that gay people should have the same privileges to work in the federal government. But I'm glad that's over. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, here's the thing, right? And you and I have talked about this before. I don't know if we've ever talked about it on the podcast. Independent of political party, whoever you want to love, even if you don't love them and you want to have sex with them, don't care. Not my business. It's the political violence through policy and like actively shaping the conversation about what's right and wrong and et cetera. That is, that's where, like, I draw the line. Yeah. Like, if you take the Lindsey Graham example for a second, right? Mm-hmm. If, in fact, it is true that Lindsey Graham hired uh, sex workers in D.C., like the the tweets have said, that would be the coolest thing about him, right? <laughs> Supporting the sex worker community in D.C. Yeah. Good for you. Right? The thing is that he's also, like, virulently homophobic and sponsoring anti-LGBTQ legislation and, like, denying people protections. J. Edgar Hoover did the same thing. His his mother dies. He's got like 10 million Americans on list. They've like built up this incredible surveillance apparatus. And the, and the thing he puts it to use against in the 50s when there's a red scare is then the lavender scare, which is like after they go after communists and do blackballing in Hollywood, mm-hmm. he is actively helping them purge people they suspect are gay from the federal employment roles. And they pass executive orders that say, if, we, if you're gay, you cannot work in the government. And then that becomes model legislation for all the states and local things that basically because of his help and support with this congressional like investigation, 12 million jobs across the country are directly made so that they are either have to fire everyone they suspect, suspect are gay or like they have to sign oaths and sign morality clauses saying that you can't have those jobs. Like Thanks. it is it is the active weaponization of that power mm-hmm. that and the hypocrisy that goes with it, that's the part that is just like so infuriating to me. Yeah. I mean, what's that thing that Shakespeare said? Thou doth protest not enough. You just got to make sure you like <laughs> drive it home yeah, again. Protest again. louder and louder and louder. And again. Yeah. Um, some Somehow it always ends up being this way. Yes. Right. I mean, um, it is it is part of this country's history to like have a power structure that enforces those norms and invariably you find the people who are most most violently pushing for them frequently have very deeply personal reasons to be doing that 
and they are not good ones. If you're thinking about the sex that other people are having that much, you're probably thinking about it for reasons <laughs> other than your hatred for it. Yes, correct. So in addition to all of this virulently homophobic uh, exertion of power, there's just like run-of-the-mill like trying to you know circumvent constitutional freedoms. Ten million people on these lists. Um, when we get into the Korean War, Hoover actually brings Tr- President Truman at the time this list of 12,000 Americans. It's like, hey, if you're just going to round up people and detain them because like they're not loyal to America, here's the list. Oh, shit. He's like, if you want to suspend habeas corpus. How do they get that much intelligence without like the internet? So, a, I mean, a big part of what he's doing is he, remember that internship he had way back in the day at the Library of Congress? Mm-hmm. He's bringing like index cards and filing systems and like the very first fingerprint databases. He starts to the first blacklist. Like today's terror watch list infrastructure yeah. has its roots in him getting like very disciplined and very, very um, systematic about tracking and surveilling and like and and watching people. And so like if if you're like, hey, I just wanted to put together a list of the 12,000 most dangerous people, like they're cross-referenced and indexed. It's like this is when the FBI becomes a tool of systematic monitoring of the American people, protected political speech, right? Like, this is this is wow. the in the form- formative years. Yeah, and so Truman is like, fuck that. The the, the thing he's, he's giving with this list is he's saying if you want to suspend habeas corpus, that the Latin word Ex- just... Yeah, yeah. So it's say, two explain Latin to words. our listeners, and definitely not to me, but definitely <laughs> to the people who are listening. Just explain about this habeas corpus. Okay, so it just it's Latin for we have the body, mm-hmm. right? And all it means it is a right that's so fundamental. It's not, it's like it's written into the Constitution. It's hard to even think of it as a separate right because we just take it for granted. Mm-hmm. But it basically means that like the police can't just come, come round you up at your house and throw you in jail and keep you there. Okay. Right. The basic right you have to be like, somebody can go to a judge and say like, hey, this person's in jail and they there aren't charges. They didn't do anything illegal. <laughs> they have to let them out. The judge can then say, do you have them? Do you have their body? Yeah, bring them here. Do you have any charges? If not, they get to go. Like that basic right to not have a Gestapo oh, okay. is the thing that he was like, hey, Truman, if you want to get rid of that, here's the list of people to round up first. Uh, and Eep. yeah, this is where his mind is at for the Korean War. Thou doth protest too much about how much you hate communism. Yeah. And the government influence or control over individuals. It is just expressly authoritarian. Mm-hmm. Even Truman said, like, the direct quote from Truman was, we want no Gestapo or secret police. FBI is tending in that direction. They are dabbling in sex life scandals and plain blackmail. Edgar Hoover would give his right eye to take over, and all the congressmen and senators are afraid of him. Yikes. Yeah, like he would have gotten rid of them if he wasn't afraid of them too, right? Wow. I'd like to see that Truman file. So by the 1950s or so, um, there have been some Supreme Court opinions that have really kind of put a damper on prosecuting people for their political opinions. <laughs> like, it turns out, like, if you're trying to round up people who are organizing labor unions because you believe in workers' rights, um, Supreme Court's like, no, you can't do that. And Edgar Hoover's really pissed off about that. Is he just angry all the time? I would imagine he is just an unpleasant person to be around. To have so much outrage about the way people live their lives. I mean, so... It's outrage combined with just I was I was reading uh, a profile of 
William Barr in the New York Times today. And he strikes me as a very similar kind of person. There's just a deep belief in a social order that's rooted in American history and the American history of white supremacy yeah, and social say, control. It means they don't know anything about garbage American history is. Yeah, right. And like and and they just believe that like a strong moral society comes from strength at the top and like just control of the people. Right. And so long as the top is out white supremacist. Yeah, right. Well, and like, yeah, and some of them would put it in those terms and some of them would refuse to put it in those terms, but it doesn't change the fact that it's exactly it's upholding that. upholding a, a culture of white supremacy or yeah. a system. A system, exactly. Yeah. And so as a result of this, right, as the, in the middle of, in the mid-50s or so, right, Hoover's about, you know, 60, 61 at this time, uh, he decides that he is going to start a set of programs uh, called COINTELPRO. So, Co-Intel-Pro is just like a mashup of counterintelligence program. Okay. The goal here is to try to do all the things short of just rounding up the activists and putting them in jail. It's like, how do you fight them if you're the government, if you can't just throw them in jail? Yeah, fuck we the people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, it is things like create a negative public image for groups by... Surveilling activists and then releasing negative personal information about them to the public. Uh, have agents try to make racial tensions worse. Send anonymous letters. So, like, send letters from one organization that look like they're from the other, being like, there's a death threat against you or something, like, impersonate people. Um, so a little infiltrate and instigate. Yeah. Spread rumors that organizing groups are, like, stealing money. Um, pressure nonprofits to cut off their funding by making them look bad. Uh, promote violence against the police during and planning and at protests to Uh. discredit the ability to organize protests and stop them from being able to organize. Restrict the individual's ability of individuals to participate in group activities by like doing false arrests and surveillance and things as much as you can get away with for key people so that those people, those key activists are out out of the program. And all of this was directed almost exclusively at black organizations and and activists, indigenous, uh, Native American organizations and protests, workers' groups, women's rights groups. He he once said when asked whether they would investigate things like the KKK's hate crimes, he said, I'm not going to send the FBI in every time some N-word woman says she's been raped. I'm sorry. What? Yeah, like... Explicitly dismissing racist violence, the FBI was like, no, you know who we need to go after? Activists. Right. Ah. Because they are threatening the current social order. Yeah, the system. 1960, the FBI, as part of this program, creates the Minutemen, which were a right-wing white supremacist paramilitary organization that uh, was going to basically do violent attacks Eventually, local law enforcement finds these people and breaks them up and they have to, like, make a new group to do it. But the FBI is basically actively, secretly funding these white supremacist groups and violent paramilitaries to try to take on and and conduct violence against these activists. This all comes to a head when MLK gives the I Have a Dream speech. So, 63? Yeah. So, in 63, Hoover sees the speech and says, in light of King's powerful demagogic speech... We must mark him now 
if we have not done so before, as the most dangerous Negro of the future in this nation, from the standpoint of communism, the Negro, and national security. Jesus Can you imagine watching the I Have a Dream speech? And like... That's the most dangerous person in America? Yeah. Which, again, if you are representing the system that King is explicitly fighting against... Yeah. At that moment, he is. Yeah, you're the most dangerous person to the continuation of an unjust system. Yeah. So once it is announced that MLK the next year is going to win the Nobel Peace Prize, mm-hmm. uh, J. Edgar Hoover is furious. Um, they be- This is when they send him the suicide package, which is a, a set of recordings. So they've been bugging and surveilling MLK for, for years at this point. Of course. They found out that he was having affairs. And so they put audio of these affairs together and they wrote a note and basically said in the note, it said, there's no way, there's only one way out for you. You better take it before your filthy, abnormal, fraudulent self is bared to the nation. Basically, if you don't kill yourself, we are going to release this to the press. So just kill yourself now. Yikes. And if you accept the Nobel Peace Prize, we're going to release all this to the media. Holy cow. This is the FBI. This is the law enforcement agency in the United States, right? Yeah. Fuck the police. <laughs> yeah. Like this, this, these are the people that are theoretically there to like uh, stop crime and are saying, if you are going to accept your Nobel Peace Prize, you, you have to kill yourself first. You can't do it. Wow. Um, so he, he doesn't give in. He accepts the prize. They go to the media. They, they bring this stuff to Newsweek uh, and Newsday at the time is another. Uh, it, basically, nobody will take it. OK. But they are trying. At, at this point, like, there's no basis in reality. Like, literally, the FBI field offices in the 60s come back to J. Edgar Hoover and they say, like, hey, we've been investigating the Black Panther Party. And it seems like here in San Francisco, like, the number one thing they're doing is actually, like, doing free breakfast programs for children. Right. Right? Like, they're feeding kids. And his... So, one, the person who said that, was his career was threatened immediately. And Hoover said that Black Panther Party, you're wrong. He said it was a violence-prone organization seeking to overthrow the government by revolutionary means. And the purpose of counterintelligence action is to disrupt the Black Panther Party, and it is immaterial whether facts exist to substantiate the charge. He literally said, it doesn't matter if it's true. Like, your job is to, is to dismantle them. I'm just shocked by the number of things that are said so explicitly, so out loud. In my mind, and this is total naivete, you would just imply those things and it was like a little wink, a little nudge. He's just like, no, make it up. Who cares? No, not publicly at the time. No, even internally is what I'm saying. Internally. Internally that someone would say this out loud. And and this is only the internal stuff that we got. Right. Right. Like there's a there's this is a tiny minority of the actual records. Right. Yeah. But even the stuff we have is just like explicitly make stuff up. So the fact that like Black Panther Party got a reputation as like a terrorist organization at all or violent as all, it's just a concoction of this program, right? Yes. It, it is a concoction. It's a deliberate effort to try to make a peaceful, constitutionally protected citizens like just exercising their constitutional rights into criminal activity. Mm-hmm. Even if it's not true explicitly. That's what the FBI is about. Yeah. Um, good, good thing we, again. Good, good thing that's over. Good thing that's over. Um. So at the time, one of the Black Panthers was was talking about like what it made him feel and and what it was like to be on the other side of this government violence. And basically, the quote was um, from Daruva bin Baad. Uh, he, He said, in the United States, the equivalent of the true military was the local police. During the early 60s and at the height of the civil rights movement and the human rights movement, the politics of the United States became increasingly militaristic. They began to train out 
the police in military bases in the United States. The Law Enforcement Assistance Act supplied local police with military technology, everything from assault rifles to army personnel carriers. Like, in my opinion, the counterintelligence program went hand in hand with the militarization of the police in the black community and with the militarization of police in America. Oh, that's not just in your opinion, sir. That's what happened. Oh, but he's talking about the 60s, though. Yeah, that's what happened. Yeah, again. And if you're... If you recall, if you think back to the Reagan episode, talking about the Black Panthers in the 60s, that's when Reagan was governor of California. Oh, absolutely. So he's starting to like... This is when we see Republicans embrace gun control all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. start to get the, his little grubby mitts in there. Yeah. So, so this connection between the government suppression of constitutionally protected speech and the militarization of police mm-hmm. is not a new thing. And, no. like, it is not even a new thing in the last decade or two decades or three decades Mm-mm. or four decades. Yeah, right? we're going back six decades. Yeah, we, we, were talking, we were talking deep in the history of American politics ever since the Civil Rights Act, essentially. Mm-hmm. The response of the United States law enforcement, you know, system has been war against the American people who fight against the system. Yeah. 1965, the Civil Rights Act is passed. The FBI is actively infiltrated. Like, this is just pissing them off. So they, they actively infiltrate uh, Malcolm X's immediate surrounding group, mm-hmm. uh, several of his members, and um, instigate the assassination of Malcolm X directly. Like, we know explicitly that they were the ones who were pushing the intergroup fighting and, like, faking it with informants and all these other things. Right, like directly responsible. People on the FBI payroll, right, were in there. But after the Civil Rights Act is passed, J. Edgar Hoover just, like, loses his shit. So they had COINTELPRO, but that wasn't quite clear enough. They started a sub-program in 1967 called, he's like 72 at this point, it's called COINTELPRO Black Hate. Oh, my. In case the nuance was lost on anyone, the FBI of the United States started a program called COINTELPRO Black Hate specifically directed now at Dr. Martin Luther King and the Student Nonviolent Coordination Committee, which was like the student groups that were leading these protests, right? Mm-hmm. And, and their quote was, they wanted to prevent military black nationalist groups and leaders from gaining respectability, emphasis is theirs, by discrediting them to both the responsible community and to liberals who have vestiges of sympathy. They're like, we have to stop this progress right. of, this, of this movement that is clearly gaining momentum. Yeah, and... If you think about, like, the timeline, right, a lot of the people who are now in positions of power grew up, were children or young adults at the time when these systems and organizations were being put in place. And so they don't feel any different than what they were used to before. And so it feels, I imagine, for a lot of people, it feels like the system that currently exists has always existed. Yes. And that it's just coincidental that it's not orchestrated or strategic or deliberate or targeted. Yeah, it it has been an explicit push. Uh, and yeah, it, it probably just feels like taken for granted at this point for a lot of people from this generation. Uh, 1968, the next year after COINTELPRO Black Hate, MLK is assassinated. At trial, the FBI was not found criminally responsible. But after that, to try to get the evidence out, MLK's family sued in a civil lawsuit, mm-hmm. right? One of the men who admitted that he was involved in the conspiracy and described how a combination of forces 
COINTELPRO Black Hate that involved both the FBI and the CIA and other mafia um, intermediaries as messengers were in fact responsible for MLK's murder. And the jury awarded the damages, finding that the government was responsible for MLK's assassination. Of course, the government denies it. But like, if you have in response to (laughs) MLK's Nobel Peace Prize, a program called COINTELPRO Black Hate. Yeah. It's not it's not really a stretch. It's not a stretch. It's to, that's that is too much of a coincidence. Yeah, like what are the odds? I know we've been like calling out the parts of this that are eerily similar or sound eerily similar to the situation we find ourselves in today. But just as a as a point of reference, lots of these same things are not just like, oh, we see similarities. Like we now have documents through Freedom of Information Act requests that like these same things are actually actively happening. Two Black Lives Matter organizers oh, explicitly. For sure. Like starting yes. in 2014 with Ferguson, mm-hmm. right? There is there is now government documents, some yep. of them redacted. So we don't even know the extent of it. We don't know the illegal things. We only know the things that they were un, that they were willing to leave unredacted. But explicitly saying that FBI tracked organizers, not just in social media, but like hired active informants to go and infiltrate and gather data, physical surveillance, right, followed, tracked them. This is all again, right, like no evidence of crimes. We're just talking about like Black Lives Matter protesters who are saying there is police brutality, this militarization still exists. And the FBI yes. is like, OK, we're investigating. In fact, in 2017, the FBI, like even more recently, right, released this report that said um, they invented this concept called black identity extremists. And if you're wondering, that doesn't exist. Nobody is, is so extreme about their black identity uh, that they are criminals for it. But right. the FBI invented this term because they were like, so we are now going to be doing all of these same things, right? Explicitly, like, made this term up and created it to put it in a guide about how to surveil black activists conducting constitutionally protected free speech. Right. So then you can criminalize it. Yeah. Yeah. Try. I mean, they can't even criminalize it because there's no crime, right? So what they're trying to do is, like, invent a category that, mm. like, gives some pretense of just being able to conduct with the same law enforcement techniques that essentially been in place since Hoover started this long tradition. Right. They're probably smart enough now not to call it uh, the Black Hate Program, but functionally speaking, right, like the same tools are in the tool set, right? Illegal surveillance of American citizens. Yeah. um, Warrantless searches, right? Like now we see with the police detention, like the FBI has started to step in to actually arrest uh, protesters or detain them after the fact. So they're Mm -hmm. doing monitoring at the protests and, and coming in with the arrests after the fact. All of this is still going on. The only reason we know it was going on back then is because in 1971, when Hoover is like 76 years old, an activist group called the Citizens Commission to Investigate the FBI <laughs> breaks into a field office of the FBI. So there was like a field office. I, I didn't write down where it was. It's like in Toledo or something, right? Some, sure. some like non-DC base one. Okay. Breaks into an office that was just like in the office building that was an FBI office and gets these boxes of files and there's like all this shit in there. Like nobody knew about this. <laughs> right. Right. And they're like, oh, you've been like, you had something called COINTELPRO Black Hate. Let's read about this. Right. You you were out in like conducting all of these illegal surveillance operations on American citizens. Um, so they start leaking to this to the press and it starts to blow up. The, it turns out they probably don't like the taste of their own medicine. No. And now, in fact, just a fun little fact. Uh, if you're the FBI, what do you do about that? Uh, you not only is there a category of... Uh, black identity extremists out there, 
but there is a separate group of extremists called information freedom extremists or something <laughs> that now if you push that if you push for that there should be enough uh, government transparency, you are on a separate FBI watch list. You are on a separate wow. program where they track you as an extremist if you believe that there should be transparency in these operations in the first place, which is really, really fucking convenient if you ask me. Yeah. Cover your webcams, folks. Yes. Um, <laughs> man, it takes so little. Uh, so little. Man. But 77 uh, Citizens Commi- Citizens Commission to investigate the FBI gets these files, release them the very next year. Uh, J. Edgar Hoover dies at home. So he's like almost 80 when he dies. Um, he leaves his house worth $3 million in today's money to Clyde. Mm. And they are now buried uh, several yards apart from each other in the same cemetery. Wow. How'd he die? Heart attack. Mm. Hate got to him. Yeah, just eat you up. That's actually not the scientific way that heart attacks work, but hate in your heart is not good either. <laughs> no, it is not. Uh, so would you say that Jay Groover is your hero? I mean, I didn't know shit about him before, but now that I do know stuff about him, I hate him. The worst. Yes. Has really set the stage for not only systems that oppress black people, that op- oppress communities of color, but that then empower white people within that system to believe that the system is actually working. Yeah. That, right? that, that system is working. And then, and then weaponize, protect that system. Weaponize that same system, yes. yes, against people who are, like, fighting for any change. And, like, to this day, like, build in this mechanism where, like, people who, like, go to join the FBI are still trying to surveil American citizens fighting for something better. It's, it's shocking. It's shocking what people who consider themselves law enforcement will justify. So that was a fun one. That that one was probably the hardest. Yeah, for it was. Me. That it was, was really it was rough to research. Sorry, that's not so. This wasn't our funniest episode, friends. No, I, trust me. It's one a, of our most important. Though. There's a funny one coming up, or a good one, a fun one. We're oh. gonna do, we're gonna do a fun break one soon. Yeah, we got to. We have to. It's the the world is heavy, but the relevancy of the last few weeks. It's just we have to know our history, so that we can at least repeat less of it. Because yeah. we're repeating a whole bunch yeah, of Yeah, we were just like on the same fucking record around and around right yeah. now. Yeah, I saw a tweet that was like, how are you going to be on the wrong side of history when it's repeating itself? That's like failing an open book test. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, man. Well, thanks for doing that research. Yeah. Follow us on the socials. On the socials. We've got some good memes. Check out the websites. Yeah, one of your memes went viral, kind of. It did. I'm going to tell people they have to go see this social media account to know what it is, because it's a good one. Mini viral. We'll put it in the, like, uh, episode notes. Cool. Yeah. All right. Um, Well, until next time. Don't be a hero. Never be a hero. Bye.